Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune The Tibetan Book of Bicycle Maintenance. Do not pay attention or investigate. Leave your mind in its own sphere. Do not see any fault anywhere. Do not take anything to heart. Do not hanker after signs of progress. Although this may be called inattention, do not fall prey to laziness. Be in a state of constant inspection. Touching that microphone, Faith. <laughs> it's on. You're welcome to the Yarrabug Radio Show here at 3CR. 855 on your tranny, podcasting, streaming or listening through a tin can. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now. Not much democracy in America happening or it's just starting the spring back, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about all things bicycling, but we're actually here to talk about a ride from... The Wurundjeri Way, all the way to Wodonga, called the Victorian Divide 550. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Val. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning. Happy to have you on board the tandem. (laughs) (laughs) You're the captain today. (laughs) Always throws people off a little bit when they've got to control it. It is a lovely morning out there, a little bit of a day off from... 40 degrees. 40 degrees. That's a nice change. Yeah, yeah. Now that you've flushed all those toxins out of your system <laughs> in the last couple of days, you're ready to go. We've got a bit of a show coming up, but first we must start with bike moments. Faith. Um, okay, so the bike moment today was actually this morning. The uh, You know that little detour that's been near Queen's Parade and Napier Street where they're working on the pipes. There's still a small section, section of that in yeah. place. And instead of rerouting bike riders onto St George's Parade, they're um, taking you onto the footpath Yep. where there's a million signs saying to dismount and they've put bollards up to it. And as I was walking there pushing my bike on the footpath, 
I had plenty of time, being the only cyclist who did dismount, <laughs> to think about why you have to dismount when you get on the footpath. Because I've always kind of assumed it was a reasonable thing to ask people to do because it's a footpath and it's yep. not a space normal bike riders would But it occurred to me that 99% of our bike infrastructure in Melbourne is shared paths. Yes. And a big chunk of that is not even purpose-built. It's just footpaths with a sign on them. And a line down the middle. So why when we do a temporary diversion... Do we not just do that? Um, I've got no idea, Faith. I've got to say, <laughs> um, well, look. Obviously, there are there have been paths which are shared paths, but nobody would walk along them now at all. You know, during peak hour, you walk alongside the Yarra yeah. half past five, six o'clock, or in the morning. There's no pedestrians walking. There. No, no. Well, no. so St Kilda is probably the best example. One path for bikes. One path for yeah. Pedestrian. But there's a lot of our infrastructure that's just the average footpath. Yeah. And it's shared. Yep. So why can't we share it for a temporary diversion? Anyway, uh, it's anyway. you know, not the yeah. end of the world, but it's you know, that was my bike moment. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> Lewis. Um oh, I was can, up be, at, can be anything. Yeah, no, um <laughs> I was I was up at Mount Buller mountain biking this weekend yeah. on the Epic Trail and um yeah, just good to see people out there, and I had a great time. Um, but yeah, just sort of seeing people of like all sorts of skill levels and and stuff out there enjoying it and being up on the mountain was up was on cool. top of the world. Yeah, exactly. Top of the world, clean yeah. air. Yep. Yeah. And was it hot or was no? It... it was awesome. I probably just cracked twenty degrees. Wow. Perfect mm. riding weather. Yeah. A little bit of elevation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful mm. thing. Speaking of mountain biking, you know, this is not a bike moment, but it happens too much. Somebody walked into the shop with their arm in a sling the other day. <laughs> oh, where are you mountain biking now? How did you know? I said, well, the last four people who've walked in here with broken shoulders have all been mountain biking. <laughs> That's quite funny. Mine's a little bit, uh, it's a bike moment. Been watching a television show, obviously, but probably made about last year. And a couple of school kids, but a lot of there's a, a bit of them riding to school, and there's a good three or four minutes. Both of them riding beautifully restored rally bikes from about the 80s. So they're quite wonderful to look at, you know, non aero brakes, no suicide levers. So, and it was just wonderful to watch these, you know, in a modern show, here these two lovely bikes that the two kids <laughs> ride all the time. Of course, I noticed it. I could tell what year it was built. <laughs> <laughs> Had the yellow decal on the seat tube, you know, and the chrome fork tips, all, all the stuff that came out of the Carlton factory when they were producing very good rallies. But anyway, very funny to watch. <laughs> and even funny to watch one of them going downhill with the with his brakes firmly on us. So we're going down the hill. It was lovely. <laughs> we must move on. A little bit of news, Faith. Is there much news about Um, There's quite a bit, but I'm ignoring most of it. Um, news, Fields of Joy Cyclocross have uh, announced their new home Um which is going to be the Broadford State Motorcycle Centre um, out on the Hume, uh, a pretty epic venue. The only downside would be it's not riding yeah. from Melbourne, but uh, amazing terrain, lots of uh, 
grass that can be mowed, lots of uh, 10 kilometres of really wide track. And, uh. Yeah, and obviously it sounds very promising, a great relationship with Motorcycling Australia, so that'll be exciting, I think. Um, the Victorian Grand Prix and Melbourne... Anyway, there's lots of events already slated to happen there this year. Yeah. So. And it sounds like they'll have a more of a permanent home. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, you know, No, there's a bit news. of athletes on bikes going around, but we're steering away from those. Oh, the, um, the Women's uh, Cyclocross World Championships. So Sana Kant, the Belgian woman won, which was a oh, bit yeah, of a yeah. surprise against two really strong Dutch, uh, Marianne Vos and Lucinda Brandt. Uh-huh. So, uh, but one of the th- little snippets I saw about it was that really interesting was that the women's race, and I'm not, I think this is in the Netherlands, the women's race had 73,000 viewers and the men's had 59. There we go. So there was some, there's a Dutch statistician who's got some interesting figures on uh, women's sport and uh, uh, the viewership. So yeah, that was a, and it was a pretty, it was a really intense, exciting race, so. Yeah. yeah, I think um, last couple couple of years now, the women's racing has been a lot more exciting in, yeah. in pro cyclocross compared to the men's. It's sort of been pretty much one of two people going to win the men's, and it's I think it's sort of just got a bit stale. Um, yeah, um, yeah, between Wout and uh, MVDP. Um, but yeah, the women's has been sort of wide open, and Sana Khan has definitely been dominating, but it's definitely a lot more wide open, a lot more competitive. Well, there's so many really strong, like Mariana Voss and oh, Lucinda Brandt. They yeah, both absolutely. went in, probably picked more likely to win. Yep. You know, yeah, definitely. And yet they're all strong enough to really tip the cart and yep. come out with a surprise result. So, yep, definitely. Yeah, exciting racing. And it's um, followed on by a lot of other say, viewers of women's sport, you'll find the Australian soccer, women's soccer team is much more popular, you know, as far as viewership is concerned. Yeah. It's been a quite interesting thing happening for the last five or six years. Somehow seems to be a bit cleaner. I yes. Should, yeah, I don't mm. know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's not go there. <laughs> Look, the other thing that popped up during the week, I'm not sure, Lewis, you ride around the city a lot. Faith, you do too. I do too. But probably I'm, I ride a sort of set route. I'm starting to think that those bike boxes at the front of um, intersections are actually dangerous for cyclists more than anything else. I think I've had three occasions in the last couple of weeks. I plant myself in the middle of the bike box, probably shouldn't do it. But the reason it's there is because in a two-lane road, the person on the left-hand lane behind you is going to try and take off as soon as the light turns green and get into the right-hand lane. But I'm sitting there in the bike box, and actually if I'm halfway across the intersection, I'm taking that whole lane. Mm. It's a bit... I'm starting to not use them much anymore. The other thing is happening... I'm getting motorbikes alongside me, and I keep telling them, mate, you're not meant to be here. Get out of here. <laughs> and you, the reaction you get from some people is quite, you know, over the top. Yeah. It's a bit um, – I'm not sure that it makes us any safer whatsoever. It's Another part of it is that um, it's, it's always been proven that it's safer if cyclists get to go through the intersection first. first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've – especially when we were training – people to ride in the city um 
we use them a lot. And and I guess it is easier if there's a few of you. Yep. Um, I've not had a problem using them. I quite like them if there's no better. Yep. I generally, it's probably pushing pushing things a little bit, but I typically pull up in the bike box and then after the pedestrians finish crossing the opposite way, I'll then Go push the yeah. In, yeah. In, into that pedestrian crossing yeah. area so you have that extra buffer extra again. Yeah. Yeah. And again, then you're fur- that little bit further in front and you have a bit more time and space. Yeah. And, and the driver's, I think, less likely then um, to, to try and push around you because you do have that extra space again. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I find what I do if there isn't a bike box is I create one by doing yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, move into that pedestrian area once it's been cleared yeah, yeah. and just plant yourself there. And you have a legal right to take the lane if you feel unsafe. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, nobody's yeah. got to push it. The other thing with is there are some drivers on that left hand that you just won't control. Yeah. And yeah. there are some that will be notice you and go round you and wait for the other car. But there's a subsection of them, and you can nearly hear the motor revving when it, gets, <laughs> it when, drives the, them when nuts. the lights get ready to change, and you know you're on for it. You know the bike box I don't like, and there, I think there might be a couple, but there's only one I use consistently, and it's on Swanson Street at RMIT, where there's only one lane, and the cars have to turn left. Yeah. But if so, you don't get your green bike light. At the same time. No. So if you're in the bike box, you're blocking them from turning left. Mm, and yep. I just think, who, who came up with this? Yeah, that's... Like, that's uh, just... That's, I know five or six intersections like that. There's a green arrow to turn yeah. left. Yeah. But the bike box takes up the whole of the left lane. Yeah. And you're stuck there and the bloke behind you is tooting his horn. Yeah. And, you know, if there are two or more of you there, you're not going to get out of the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. We should move on to happier things. <laughs> After this break, we'll be back with... Sorry, Faith, did it. <laughs> You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And you're back listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show on 3CR. Um, as Val mentioned, we have Lewis Sador in the studio. Uh, he's been a guest previously after winning the Tour Divide uh, earlier. No, last year, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Not. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Cramming a lot into this year. <laughs> yeah. Would have been in July that I think I was on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, like all the best bike packers, Lewis has then uh, uh, gone away and come up with uh, an awesome route to share with everyone, the Victoria Divide 550, which um, he's just finished test riding and uh, the inaugural grand departs for that will be taking place in a couple of weeks. Maybe um, I'm curious about what came first. Did the route prompt you to come did sections of the route prompt you to come up with the ride or were you thinking i want to curate a great ride um and i I will look for a route i'm not (laughs) sure i'm not sure that's a good question (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm always for personal reasons trying to come up with good routes to link, link stuff together and i think this was sort of trying to come up with like I guess like in some ways like the ultimate route like linking up my favorite bits of stuff across yep. the state um my favorite riding's up in 
up in the mountains. Um, and so, yeah, I really wanted like a fun and picturesque route. And so there's crammed a lot of single track in there. Like some of the, the Buller, like epic single track is in there and little bits along the way. And even on the way out of Melbourne, um, snuck in a bit of um, the single track in Smith's Gully and that sort of stuff as well. So really yeah. fun and licking up some good stuff. Um, obviously, you can't fit everything in, but it was sort of an attempt to... Some have tried. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, but yeah, a bit of both and kind of wanted to create a little bit of something as a to, to be a personal challenge for myself as well and yeah. um, offering something for other people. So the route starts here in Melbourne at Wurundjeri Spur on yep. the boulevard mm-hmm. and then where does it take us from there? Um, so it follows the Yarra River north um, up through Warrandyte um, then out starts climbing into sort of the foothills around Tulangi um, over to Marysville climbs out of Marysville and then down to Big River and follows the um, Big River Road to Jameson up the Hauqua over the back of Buller uh, across the Lake Cobbler Plateau, down into Myrtleford. Um, and then from there, Stanley, Yakandanda, and then up to the border, finishing on the banks of the Murray. Yep. And so 550 kilometres and how much climbing? Ooh, I think it comes out at about twelve or 13,000 <laughs> metres. <laughs> A lot. A lot. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously a route that you've published and people could do any time yep. but you are going to be setting off on february the 16th yep um and riders who want to set off at the same time uh do you know how many people you're expecting to ride the route at that time uh probably expecting somewhere around 30 i think but um yeah the intent was just to create a route that people can can enjoy at any time um Go and tour over as, as, you know, tour it over a week. Yeah. Um, or, you know, sort of use it as a, a bit of a challenge, challenge. And, and try and lay down a, a fast time on it or something like that. So um, I did it over three days, um, like doing a, like a final reconnaissance of the route um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we'll probably be hoping to get it done in under two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> And completely unsupported. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All it is is a route, and yep. if you know, if you wish to to ride it, then um, you know that there's a there's a GPX file that you can drop on your Garmin and follow. And there's a little yep. bit of information out there in terms of like where the towns are and resupply points and opening hours yep. and stuff. But yeah, it's absolutely all all it is is, is a route. And if, if people yep. wish to ride it, that's that's up to them, and they'll have to do the research required to to do it safely and carry everything that they need to to get it done. Any walking? Um, a little bit. I didn't... Depends who's doing it. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the person. I, I, I really didn't do too too much, like a couple of steps here and there. Yeah. Um, but nothing nothing prolonged. Probably the one spot where people will, will come into the most um, difficulty will be climbing up Speculation Road to the Cobbler Plateau. Um, I think it's about a five or six hundred meter climb, yep. but it's um, it's it's nicknamed the staircase by four wheel <laughs> drivers. Awesome. It, apparently, it's it's not as bad as it used to be. Uh, apparently, it's sort of been toned down a bit. Level out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's still pretty rough. Um, I rode it on my full suspension um, a couple of weeks ago. I took that um, 
I'm going to be racing on that bike later in the year in Colorado. So I've, I've just sort of been starting to do all my riding on that bike to, to get used to it. But I end up doing most of that climb with the suspension open yep. just for the extra traction because it's, it's that lumpy uh, and rocky and stuff. So that yep. definitely assisted, uh, but it was a difficult climb. Um, I did a, a couple of spots of walking there, but I think some people will will be doing quite a bit of walking. There. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes it's good to get off, get a bit yeah, of exactly. You know, yeah, want yeah, to get close to the stretch uh, the legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lewis, tell me how this route now. You know, you can pick up stuff nearly every day, or not nearly every day. Um, I think if if, if you're doing a more reasonable pace, it actually lines up. Um, a bit better with the resupplies. Um, I think the longest stretch is 120 k's between yeah. services. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good even spread, and there's there's quite a lot of options. But I found doing it over three days, um, not wanting to hang around too much. The other weekend, I got the Jameson. I got a resupply in Jameson, but then was too late for Buller. Yeah, and wanted to press on and not hang around, so yeah. you know, yeah. I rode more that night, and so that ended up being maybe a two hundred k stretch between Jameson and Myrtleford. Yeah, um, but I think because I'm going to try and push a bigger day um, when we leave at the Grand Apart, I'll probably miss. I'll be too late for Jameson and too early for Buller, which means uh-huh. I'll have a three hundred and thirty k stretch between. <laughs> From Marysville to Myrtleford without yeah. resupply, so I just have to leave uh, Marysville full full to the brim with food. But I think yeah, I've I've helped a couple of people sort of go over like a loose like four day plan or five day plan, and it actually works out. Like you you should basically hit everything within opening hours on on that kind of schedule. Yeah. Uh, which means you're not carrying apart from water, you're not carrying all that much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there, there actually is quite a lot of water on route, so long as you're carrying a water filter or tablets to treat your water. There's a, there's a lot of creeks and streams and springs and stuff uh-huh. that are um, fairly reliable. Like then it's stuff that's not going to go, go yeah. dry in the peak of summer. Like I was out there mid January a few weeks ago and yeah, plenty of water. And, and, and we've had a dry year. So if it's yeah, there exactly. now, yeah. yeah. It's, so what's it like riding at night across the top of Buller or um, through the forest or you need quite good, good light. So I have a, a, a really good dynamo setup. Um, I'll give a little shout out to K light dynamo <laughs> lights if I can. <laughs> Who, um, yeah, Kerry takes good care of me, but his lights are, are honestly like above and beyond this. They're, they're super bright and designed to work at the low speeds of mountain biking. Okay. Um, so they're sort of, yeah, fine tuned for that. And yeah, they're really good beam pattern, like really n- nice and like wide and bright, um, uh, which is, like different you want a sort of a shaped beam if you're riding around town to keep it out yeah. of the eyes of drivers and that yeah. sort of stuff but for mountain biking you want a big wide throw to sort of hit everything um and then i, I couple that with a um a helmet light as well for uh-huh. for like technical descents and stuff yeah. if you're on like a windy track it helps helps to be able to see round corners and that sort of stuff yeah. um and does it are there lots of animals out at night and it's more so different sounds or yeah different sounds for sure um i think more so animals are you know around dusk yeah uh, dusk and dawn obviously so you got to be a bit careful then but usually in the evening it's 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 not too bad once the sun's actually down 
Um, Do you feel like you're the only thing moving around, or are you aware of other? There's definitely you definitely hear sounds yep. and stuff, but it it is a cool feeling. I really in, in, enjoy night riding. Yeah, um, it's pretty special. And if you end up riding through the night, and you know you've had eight hours of of darkness, and all of a sudden watching the 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 light starting to creep back into the sky, like very slowly, and then the sun creep over the horizon. It's pretty, um, pretty magical, actually. Like yeah, it's, um, it's very surreal, and it's a it's a pretty cool experience. How does uh, Harkwell look at the moment? Um, it's running pretty pretty well. I did. I thought there was going to be a Ford of the Harkwell originally in the plan, um, and so I did that, and that was probably like a thigh deep like river crossing, yeah. um, like trudging through it, carrying my bike. Um, but the track that I'd intended to use got bulldozed oh. for fire access. Um, there was yeah. a fire on the back of um, Little Mount Buller um, a couple of weeks ago, and the track got bulldozed for that, and it's in a bit of a state at the moment. So, yeah. um, I for, love that part up there. Yeah, so so that that came out, and now there's a just a bridge crossing. But it's, it's yeah, still flowing pretty fast this time of year. Yeah. Um, and you do follow that for quite a bit, so there's a couple of points where you can resupply water out of the river if need be. And one thing I really liked um, that you posted on the Facebook page for the Victoria Divide 550 is you've anchored the route within Aboriginal Australia and the communities who live and lived across the route, um, naming all the places and using traditional names and that why was that important to you? Um, I think, honestly, a big part of it is about being, like, a responsible land user. Like, you hear a lot of talk from people about, um, like, leave no trace ethics and stuff and, you know, being respectful of the land you're on. But I think a big part as well that goes really hand-in-hand hand with that, of, of, of having that respect, is is acknowledging the traditional owners of the land. And especially in the high country, you, there's a lot of glorification of the, the colonial past and the colonial history, um, the high country cattlemen and that sort of stuff. And especially, I think it's easy to romanticize that when there's still like remnants, like old, old cattlemen's huts and yeah. stuff. Yeah. The huts are great and they're beautiful and, and they're a cool piece of history that you can sort of experience. But I think, yeah, sometimes that rom- romanticism gets sort of overpowers um, and I, I guess is the nature of, of our colonial past that, um, we've sort of buried the indigenous history. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, doing, doing the research into acknowledging the, the traditional names and stuff, as well as the traditional owners is, is pretty crucial in, in having a good relationship with the land. And obviously bikepacking has a quite intimate relationship with the land that yeah. you're traveling through. It's, you, you know, it's very close, the smells, the sounds, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think to ignore that part is, is sort of a bit of willful ignorance. Um, I, I will say that it was not surprising, but definitely a bit sad realizing how hard it was to find that information, like yeah. really, really basic inf- information about, um, yeah, who who the traditional nations were that that owned that land, um, and, and the roots across those mountains would have all come from their song lines, which are actually from one spot to another. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think if you if you look <clears throat> at like 
the routes that like the the high country cattlemen and drovers and stuff were originally using um be it as they may that they were sort of lauded as pioneers and stuff in the high country like yeah. a, a lot of the time were just using the routes that already existed yeah. from the indigenous yeah. people and and had guides and that sort of stuff so it's like mm, like <laughs> maybe they, it isn't all all as it gets painted you know no, it's a myth and you know things like the man from Snowy River, which was written up in that country, yeah. yep. sustains that myth. Yep, absolutely. Nineteen oh one, we were the second most urbanised country in the world. We've hmm. never had pioneer spirits. We make a myth of all that stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's it's it's. I think it's really good because it then establishes this continuity that puts that back. You know, instead yep. of it being oh we're following you know the cattlemen's trails and the drovers' trails, it's no we're following. You know, travelling across the land that Indigenous Australians um, own and following the routes that they passed on or handed on to, you know, Europeans as they arrived and now here we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, I think honestly, doing, doing that research now, um, like riding the route becomes more meaningful knowing that history yeah. and it, you sort of derive more enjoyment out of it. And yeah. even... You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, like I was up just mountain biking on, on Mount Buller riding the trails up there this weekend, which is obviously part of where the route goes through. And so being able to, yeah, still draw some of those experiences um, and, and the meaning of, you know, you see like the the bogong moths and stuff. And obviously that was an integral part of yeah, yeah. of the, the indigenous history of, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. of the indigenous people, like m- moving up into the high country for the summer was, was part of that. So... Yeah, it was cool. Awesome. So if anyone wants to find out more information about the event, we'll be linking to uh, the website and Facebook page in the write-up for the podcast. But what is the website address for those at home listening? Uh, it's just on Facebook, oh, really. Okay. There's yeah, like cool. a there's a Facebook page if you just yep. look up Victoria Divide 550. 5.50. It'll pop go. up. And, yeah, we'll put those links in. Thanks a lot for coming into the studio, Lewis. Thanks um, for having good me. to see you again, Lewis. Yep. Really looking forward to uh, hearing how everyone enjoys that route. Thank you. You've th- been listening to the Yarrabug radio show on 3CR. We rely on the support of our listeners to stay on the air. So if you'd like to make a donation or subscribe to the station, you can do that at 3cr.org.au or by calling 94798377. Coming up next is... is jailbreak. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.